Hi, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Erin. And we're here to keep it real, raw, and what it means to be the confident woman. All right, ladies. So today we have Amanda Kinderman joining us. She is a licensed financial professional who focuses on helping women take charge of their finances to build their wealth potential. Um, Also has a financial education brand called Financially Successful and Savvy, where she shares important financial topics to educate and guide people towards their financial goals. So we are going to buckle in and talk about all things money. Money, 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 right? People get intimidated by that word, but you're not one of them, huh? Not at all. Love it. I think this is so good because I think sometimes, you know, people are afraid to talk about money or not because they're afraid to talk about it. I find like some people don't even know where to like what to ask or what, you know what I mean? Like they don't even know what they don't know. So I think this is great to help educate some women and and find some ways to empower them to um, go out and get a whole lot of it. I agree. I mean, (laughs) I'm all about women making more money and all of us just being rich and financially free. So Yes. Yeah. So how did this, um, so obviously your li- licensed profession is what you do. How did you get into that field? I guess, like what directed your passion toward this is what I want to do. Sure. So I actually went to school for science. I have a bachelor's in biology and a master's in public health. And for the past 12 years, I've been working in clinical research and I'm very passionate about science and research and all of that. But unfortunately, it's just not where my true uh, you know, purpose is, where I think I could lend the most support. And so in 2020, like a lot of people, I kind of had an aha moment and said, oh my gosh, like I need something different. And I was actually with my financial advisor at the time and had like a light bulb moment and said, I should be a financial advisor. And she was like, oh, you'd be so good at that. You're great with people. You love talking to others and helping them. And this would be a great field for you. So I just sort of dove in and did my research and and started making that transition. And it's a relatively new experience for me becoming an entrepreneur and being in the financial field, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. I think that's, um, first of all, it's crazy that you're in like health and then in 2020 is when you like left to go to something else. That's really fun. <laughs> um, but also I think too, um, you know, the fact that you are, you have that background, you know, so people know, like you research, like you're going to know your stuff. Right. Yeah. I'm not just going to be here, you know, giving crazy advice or whatever else. Everything is, is definitely researched and in fact, checked and regulated, which is great. Oh, that's good. I love it. So, so this is like a new endeavor, this, but obviously like money's not new to any of us. We've had to deal with money our entire lives. So is there something that like was a light bulb? Like obviously you're, you just started a couple of years ago, like teaching and advising, but was there something that you learned right away? That was like a huge, like, what the heck, how come not everyone knows this or they don't tell us this? I mean, it's been really fascinating to me to learn more of the ins and outs of the finance world and the business. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you know, it's still a very male-dominated environment. Mm -hmm. And right now, there's such a need for financial advisors in general. There's going to be like 70,000 baby boomers retiring on a regular basis and there's not enough advisors to really help them figure out what to do. And a lot of them just don't have the help they need in order to retire and make sure that they're making their money last through retirement. So I was already you know, interested in wanting to enter the field, but I also wanted to make sure I was finding a place where other women and you know, people of color and diversity was in the forefront because I didn't want to be at a firm or in a environment where it was still kind of the status quo, like what we've seen for the past hundred years. Yeah. To kind of, to break, to break the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that. And it's, and it's kind of funny because I think so many of us found new paths in 2020. And uh, so I'm kind of curious, like, because when we talk about money, there seems to be like that taboo topic, like, you know, we just don't talk about these certain things. And it was, you know, obviously money is one of those, you know, off the table topics, unless you're in that controlled environment where you feel like everyone is, you know, okay with it. But 
I think it comes down to what, like we all kind of had that money story too. So was there something like that in your life that kind of led to this? And, and you're like, okay, not only do the people need it, but here's my why, like this intrinsic like motive behind it. If you'd like to share the the story, I mean, we'd love to hear that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually grew up with a single mom in poverty. The first 10 of years of my life, we moved around from apartments to trailers you know, food stamps, all of that stuff. So I grew up in a very um, scarce mindset around money and seeing my mom work multiple jobs just to be able to provide basic needs and resources. And then I got thrown into living with my grandparents when my mom got evicted from her apartment for the next, you know, eight years until I went to college. And that was a completely different environment. They were upper middle class. They were living in a large house and traveling on a regular basis. And the duality of that was really hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around, like being in this like really poverty stricken environment to now being in this place where everything is plentiful and available to you. And so that was kind of the jumpstart for me to realize like, okay, There's obviously all sorts of different things in this world that we can do to really get to know money and the things around it. And like you said, it's a whole taboo topic. I mean, a lot of women were raised to not talk about it. You don't ask your friend how much they're making. You don't, you know, talk about how much money you have in your bank account or whichever. And I think that unfortunately has led to a detriment, has led to this gender pay cap that we're experiencing right now. Because women aren't talking about it. And so they're not sharing that they need to negotiate when they're trying to get a new job or they need to ask for a raise when someone else in their office is making a lot more than them. So I also had experience with like high credit card debt and being able to pay that down. I made the horrible mistake of co signing on a car lease with an ex boyfriend. And Of course, he defaults on the loan and I end up seeing my credit score crash 125 points and spend years trying to get it back up to where it needed to be in order to, you know, get a car, get a house, do all of those things. So I've definitely had a fair share of financial, you know, mistakes and and things that I've experienced, but I've learned so much through those. And I know a lot of other people become much more resilient around money when they go through kind of hardships like that. Yeah. I think it's crazy. We all do stupid stuff with money. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I had some people around me that knew things about money and I listened to them, but I still, I still messed up. Right. (laughs) I don't know. I I guess that's not a bad thing though. Cause it's like, you look at, you know, a lot of successful entrepreneurs or anybody even in the financial industry, like that makes a lot of money. Like they, they've lost a lot of money too. Like you got to not be scared, I guess, right? Like hold on so tight to this money and have that scarcity mindset. But I love the story of the ex-boyfriend with the car thing. Cause I think a lot of women, we do that, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we want to help, we want to be whatever. And yeah. So, so is that, do you feel like since that happened, do you have a pretty strong opinion on women not helping Maybe a spouse, you're married, you're committed more, but like, yeah, I highly recommend that women do not co-sign on anything unless they are actually married and, you know, in this, in this, you know, legally binding relationship with someone, because it speaks to the financial illiteracy that I had. I was uh, 29 years old. I had just gotten divorced like the year before Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I did not know that, you know, once you co-sign on the line and you're binded to this car loan, that like there's a good chance you can't get out of it without, you know, having them refinance or have all this other stuff. There's a whole lesson yeah. I learned about title and 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 or and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. So and then I you're mean, counting on your ex to cooperate and they're not right. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, fortunately that was a very hard lesson to learn with my credit score being so impacted by that one late payment yeah. and it taking years to finally rebound back to the 800 that I had it at before. So like that was a long learned lesson, but yeah, nowadays, if anyone thinks about it, I'm just like, unless you're married, just please don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stand firm, have some boundaries on your money and yeah. protect it. So, um, I love that. I feel like, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot. 
I, I, I'm thinking right now of like hundreds of stories of where I just blew money and was stupid about it. And like, I had like the bad advice we get, right? I had people one time tell me not to pay my bills because my bills don't make me money. (laughs) And like, you need to put all your money into like, whatever it is, ignore everything. And I did. And like, it was just terrible. And then I was in the same, same boat as you with like credit and stuff. And then I was like, oh shit, they want their money back. And (laughs) I don't have it. Um, I think that even too, with, um, you know, obviously with like owing people and stuff too, like something I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs aren't educated in. And I've seen it a lot in like some groups that I'm in as well, especially this time of year, a lot of people looking, um, cause a lot of people started businesses over the past couple of years. I mean, the rise of entrepreneurship's huge, but no one again ever teaches us about like tax stuff and like all that kind of stuff. So are there resources that you like to use or suggest or something where obviously we don't need like a tax lesson. I'm not expecting that. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? Just like resources where people can find out like, okay, like, that's new for a lot of people. Well, I like to tell the, my clients that I am happy that I am not tax <laughs> licensed and <laughs> cannot do their taxes and tell them not to send me their W-2s right. and they get them because I'm not going to do them. Um, what I do like to do when I meet with clients is give them kind of an education on their money and how it gets taxed and how that plays into retirement and how that plays into where they put their money. You know, if you're investing your money directly into stocks and other items like that, knowing the difference between capital gains, capital losses, short-term, long-term, those are all taxable events and they tax at a different rate. And so that's something that people who are putting their money in the market should be aware of. And then with retirement, it's really important to understand that like taxes are going to be much higher than they are now when we retire. And that is the tax bracket you're going to be in when you pull your money out of your retirement account. So people who have 401ks or traditional IRAs that you know have been pushing off taxes until they retire, they will then have to pay taxes once they withdraw that money. And at that higher tax rate, you know, that could hit you. You're looking at your traditional IRA and you see that balance in there. That's not all the money you get to keep. Part of that, fortunately, goes to the government. So you hear a lot around Roth IRAs and other, you know, tax-free places to put your money because you want to have that diversification. If you're paying taxes over here on a traditional IRA, it's great that you can pull money out of a Roth IRA tax-free and not have to worry about it. So I like to make sure that my clients understand based on where their money is now, the importance of diversifying their retirement funds in the future. So not everything is taxed and they can make sure that they can be smart about what they're pulling out of where, because there's obviously you know minimum distributions and other things to be mindful of. Right. Yeah. So you kind of help navigate some of those, I don't want to say like loopholes, for example, but just ways to manage the money without always dishing out. Like it feels like a sieve, right? You get this money right. and it's like, got to go to all these people and you get the sand that's left over and it's usually just a lump of coal. So, yeah. you know, and so, yeah, I, I like that, you know, you brought this, you know, from your own personal perspective and experience, you, you said, well, if I need to learn this for myself, I can't be the only person who needs to learn this. So therefore I'm going to educate myself and as a give back to help empower and educate women so that they can become financially literate. Because like you said, we don't, we don't talk about this stuff. Um, you know, even in the subjects and stuff that we went through school, it's not taught about. I mean, maybe, maybe more of it is now in the different generations, but we're, we're not, we're previous generations. So we didn't have this kind of education. So what would what would be some advice or uh, tips or suggestions for somebody that's just kind of like starting out and, you know, maybe they're really struggling or maybe they just have like a little bit of uh, extra income they're looking to do something with, you know, and a lot of times if we do have some extra, you know, money, maybe we'll just buy it on, spend it on the things that we were admiring or wanting. And we're like, look, we have some allowance and play money, but what would be a smarter choice or something that you can suggest from that situation? Sure. So the first thing I recommend to every client, I don't care if their net worth is 250000 or zero. The most important first thing to do is make sure you have an emergency fund. Have to have to have an emergency fund. And you know what they say you should have in that fund differs depending on who you ask. 
usually you hear three to six months worth of expenses. I say at least cover any deductibles or any you know costs that might come up if something happens to your car, something happens to your house or your rental, or if you have a medical emergency, making sure to at least cover any of those deductibles or, or expenses that you may have with insurance is smart. But definitely try to save at least up to three months worth of expenses and then more as you as you come into more money. That way, you know, having that emergency fund enables people to not dip into a credit card and then create a cycle of debt and, you know, trying to pay that off and doing whatever. So it really helps people in the long run to have that. Afterwards, you know, I always recommend, you know, as long as people are contributing to whatever retirements they may have, a lot of people get 401ks at work. We usually recommend that they, uh, contribute up to the employer match for that so that they can you know guarantee that free money the company is giving them. And then of course, whoever is eligible for a Roth IRA, I highly recommend that they open one and contribute up to the maximum to that as well. And you know after that, it's what are your goals? What are you looking to do in the next year, two years, five years? I mean, we have a lot of people in Colorado who would love to buy a house. The housing market is crazy right now. And a lot of them don't realize that there are great you know, ways that they can take advantage of putting in lower down payments. There's different like loan programs and grants available. So it doesn't have to be 20%. It can be 3.5%. It can be 5%. So making sure that you're talking to those you know, mortgage lenders, those realtors about what you're looking for, what you want. And kind of getting an idea of what to prepare for savings-wise is huge. Like If that's a big goal in the next one to five years, even having a pre-meeting with those people would be super important. So you have expectations of what those savings goals looks like. And then people just want to like save for fun, you know, travel and all this other stuff. And, you know... Right now, inflation is really hitting everybody hard. You know, like even high yield savings can't compete (laughs) with inflation. Mm -hmm. So there's great, you know, accounts like brokerage accounts where you can put savings money and it's, you know, it could be conservatively invested in like ETFs or something like that. So your money is still growing as you are adding to it. And it can, you know, a little bit try to compete with inflation um, rather than just like, you know, putting it into the market and having to deal with tax implications with that. Mm, yeah, I, I I like that. There's all these different options because I feel like, you know, if you're kind of newer or just kind of uh, pass down money stories, legacies, things like that, it's just kind of the one dimension. You don't think there are options out there, and it's kind of you know more or less like shopping, right? So if you if you're eyeing something, you're gonna maybe look at your other alternatives. Is there a better deal out there? Is there uh, some way to get more money back on your, you know, you're saving in the in the in the long term, right? You're recouping some of that investment. So I like that you talk about these things because knowing that you have options and choices are really, you know, it's a it's a doorway to creating that financial freedom. Right. So it's not just one time or like, okay, I don't trust the bank. So I'm going to stick the money under the mattress kind of thing. Right. So you still want to play with it to you know people like that. <laughs> I really do too. I do. And, and so, you know, it's kind of, but, but this is like I said, the older mentality of money passed down from story, you know, generation to generation, generation. And it's really up to, you know, us to set that, you know, nip the legacy and be like, today it changes. And so really education is knowledge and knowledge is power. So what you're doing here is giving back and allowing women to change that trajectory of their future and their legacy. So I, I um, you know, kind of going back to the options and the choices, is there one that kind of really stood out to you that was like the, you know, the spark, like, oh my gosh, this, this is working. This is what I should have did, you know, X years ago. And now I'm seeing this in, as I teach my clients watching the transformation in their life as well. Is there something kind of one, one or may or a few of those things? So, you know, to, to speak on the financial education piece a little bit, like you said, we're not taught in school about credit, about retirement, about savings or any of that. And I remember getting my first real job out of college and you know, them saying, so we have this 
401 account for you through us. We put some money in, you put some money in, and then it just sits there and you just watch it grow. And I didn't know anything about a retirement account. You know, I didn't know that jobs were putting matches into the account. So the whole concept was just, you know, foreign to me. And then of course they have these, you know, plan advisors you can meet with to talk about, you know, how aggressively you want to invest and all of this kind of stuff. They can't really recommend anything for you, but they can kind of educate you on the difference between investing conservatively and then aggressively. But I wish I would have known how important it was as early as possible to start investing in retirement in some sort of you know uh, IRA or any of that because that compounding interest is so important and so key i mean the difference between someone at the age of 25 starting to invest into an account and someone that started at the age of 30 is huge because even that 5 years compounded makes a big difference. And so unfortunately, when I was 24 and contributing to my work 401k, I wasn't making a ton of money. I didn't have a lot of money you know, available after expenses to afford. So I wasn't contributing up to the match. I wasn't taking advantage of you know that percentage that would have really allowed me to get the most I could out of that account. And I wish I had known that I should have just did whatever is possible to make that happen so I could start it off strong and let it grow from there. Um, I'm curious now because you, because, okay. So, so when people are different, right. But like people that have jobs and they're getting that from their, from their job. And then there's like the whole other echelon, right. Of people that are entrepreneurs. So they don't have anyone. Right. They're like on their own. So it's kind of, and then, and, and then there's people that do both. And then there's people that limbo from one to the other at some point sometimes too. So I think, um, do people, cause I know sometimes people are afraid cause we're told, right. When we graduate college, um, you're going to change your career seven times, but like what happens to that money when you leave your job or you leave your career? Yeah, that that's a great question. So a lot of people, you know, they start at a job, they have their 401k in there doing their thing, and then they leave for whatever reason and either, like you said, become an entrepreneur or move on to another company. Mm-hmm. And they just think, oh, well, that 401k is just sitting with XYZ company. I'll just let it sit there and do whatever. And of course, you still have access to it. You still have your you know, website login. It's, it's separate from your actual company. But I always recommend to clients that they roll that 401k over into an IRA, into something else so that they have more control over it and that they can invest it in what they want to invest it in. A lot of these uh, company plans don't give you full autonomy and full control of where it goes. A lot of them have target funds, Mm -hmm. which is just a fund that has a, a target date that is what they usually think will be your retirement date. So they basically say whatever year you'll be 60, 65, that's the target date you want to be in. And it changes how it's invested over time as you get closer and closer to retirement. It's a great idea, but they sometimes are not as aggressively invested as they should be for people who are still quite a bit away from retirement. And you also just want to have more options. I mean, it's important to have control of where your money goes. And so by rolling it over into an IRA and then having you know all of the options in the world to invest your money, and it can be as conservative or aggressive that's comfortable to you, but that control is so important. And then you can really dictate what it does and you know set it up for the future. Yeah. I think a lot of younger people are more... Uh, I guess it just, I shouldn't, I shouldn't stereotype. I was going to say probably more aggressive, but I know some that are not, they're pretty conservative with, with what they want to do, but it's nice to have those options, I guess, too, or have other, just, I just find it fascinating how in today's world, like we, there's so much access and there's so many like books and resources available to learn all of these things, you know? And it's like, I don't know, it was really eye opening. I don't know if you've ever read the book, like Unshakable, Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. it's like or, or all about. Not- 
his money master the game money master the game yeah both of those i remember like reading and they hurt my brain because the book's like a thousand pages of like money it's like financial literacy and your brain's like i don't know any of it and it got thousand pages (laughs) yeah because it's all the most brilliant financial minds in the world and i'm like reading this and i'm like what but i tried to do it in like just little chapters at a time but my point is there's so many things that are available to us that we don't even know and like, oh, yeah. let alone where to begin. Like, right. And it almost sounds illegal. Like, can I be doing this? And it's like, you can, but nobody ever tells you, or it's just not something that an average person does, or it might not make sense. Right. Like the, people think like, this is just for the rich. Well, it's like, you can well, they do got rich because level. they knew how to do <laughs> like, a lot yeah. about exactly. being smart and building wealth versus right. you know, money. Right. Like, so, yeah, I'll tell you the biggest kind of financial expert person that really got me thinking about finance, money, all of that is Jean Chatsky. Um, if you're not familiar with her, um, she's on the Today Show. She's written a ton of different books and she came out with a book a couple of years ago, years ago called Women with Money. And it was just really fascinating. She has a podcast called Her Money. It's all a focus on women and brings in experts and speakers to just talk about different aspects of finance with women. And that really empowered me and like helped me realize how important it is for women to be educated, to understand um, what to do with their money, to get that kind of like financial freedom and independence with it. I mean, just the fact that there are a lot of women out there who are married in relationships who do not have their own accounts is crazy to me. I mean, you know, the stay at home moms who are relying on their husband's finances and they have shared accounts and all of this kind of stuff, like it's so important for women to have their own money because you never know what may happen in the future. And if you tie all of your money together, it really limits you and what you can do in the future and where you can go. Just being able to, uh, if you unfortunately get divorced, you know, you can have still have some of your money available to you to pick up and start over again. And it's the same thing with like, you know, financial abuse is a huge topic and, you know, um, people having control over others' money and finances and not allowing them to leave because they would leave with nothing. I mean, how many stories have we heard of, you know, women or women with kids who are trying to leave an abusive relationship who can't because all of their money is, you know, mixed in with the other person. And so by having separate accounts, whatever they may be, you're giving yourself options and choices to leave and to be able to to start over again and not you know be tied down to something um so i i've always been really big into reading books and learning more about it um one of the best books that i've read on finances is your money or your life by vicky robin like it's a classic and it's just so informative I also really love Get Good With Money by Tiffany Oliche. She's the budgetista on social media and she breaks it down so well. The budgetista, I know it's such a fun name. I like, I love that she picked that, but yeah, it breaks down like all the different types of, you know, accounts and, and money that you should have and educates you on what they're for and what you do with them. And it's just that really basic financial knowledge, I think is so, so crucial for everybody. I think so too, especially like what you said, like the basic stuff, because I know there's times like um, my husband and I are like different. We're the same personalities, but also very different. Like he geeks out over money and all this stuff. Right. And like, I want to know the basics. Like I want to know like this, 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 like I'm kind of like, right. Like just give me the highlights of stuff where he loves to go like know every possible thing about it. So that's where I'm like kind of grateful that I have that interest to know a little bit, but I definitely don't know. <laughs> he knows that's for sure. But, um, but I do, I think every woman should have at least the basics or at least know, or at least like get an idea of where to find answers, resources, what kind of questions to ask that kind of stuff. And then, um, also ladies like red flag, if you want to date someone and they, and, and you are looking at the future and they want just you know, no separate accounts, right. <laughs> red flag, let that go. Cause I think a lot of women, right. And, and sometimes it's unavoidable, right. It's like things ha- like life. Right. And I right. know 
like learning from like my mom, like she had my, me and my brother really young and eventually her and my dad didn't work out and kind of like this, like she's great now, but it was like the, okay, like start over, rebuild, no credit, all that kind of stuff. And she did it. So it's possible. <laughs> but I think because of that, that's where like that came for me, where she like ingrained it in my head. Like you don't depend on anybody <laughs> like, right? figure this out. And so tough life lessons, but that's where we learn the best stuff, I guess, is through those tough life lessons. But so what are ways, I guess, that we can get women to start learning this stuff younger? Because I know sometimes we're stubborn. Like when you're 18, 19, you think I'm going to marry this wonderful person and everything, you know, like some of them probably couldn't have told me that when I was younger, that that would happen. Right. Or my mom. Right. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) I'm just laughing at that because it's like my, my mother always said, you don't ever depend on a man. You make your own money and you have your own account. And obviously she had to learn from her own, you know, upbringing and and whatnot and Um, just watching her parents and legacy too. But I, I think it kind of, you know, maybe if that's inherently passed down is that, it's almost like, but if I have a joint account, that means that I'm not fully committed to this marriage because if that's kind of like an exit plan, right? So maybe that's like some old school beliefs behind it, but it's like, no, but if you earn it, you should also have your own, you know, play money or investment money or, you know, yeah. you earn it and do what you want with it. But yeah, you're working together as a, as a team for right. that household. And that's where you and your partner need to come together and, and agree on that. But yeah, I think the beliefs are so, so antiquated, like, but we need to change all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, but if you have that to account, what does that mean? You're not really trusting of your husband. You're not going to stay in this marriage. What? And it's like, whoa, slow down there. Like, <laughs> Right. When I married my ex-husband, we had separate accounts out of necessity because at the time I was a huge spender and he was a huge saver. And I knew if my marriage, (laughs) (laughs) I knew if we had combined our finances, I would always be in trouble Mm -hmm. with my husband because I would be spending all the money Mm -hmm. and he would be upset that more was not being saved. So I recommended that we both have our own checking accounts at a bank. And that's where our paychecks came into. And then our accounts were connected to another joint checking account. And every month when bills need to be paid, I would do all the math, figure out how much all the bills are, and then tell him, you know, transfer this much into this account. I'll transfer that much. The bills get paid out of that account. And then whatever's left in our separate accounts, that's for you to spend. Like that's, that is, or not, if you're a saver, that's for you to put into savings or do whatever with. But I will say that really helped us in our marriage, be able to not fight over money, not, you know, he he can't get upset with me if I came home with a Michael Kors bag because I used my money for it. (laughs) And, you know, he put his money into savings as he wanted. And so I was very fortunate that finances and money was not an issue in that marriage, just because we kind of out of necessity said we need to keep our money separate just to, you know, make sure we don't fight about this all the time. Right. So do you, do you still recommend that separate accounts kind of thing? I do. I, I absolutely do. And I personally by myself have two accounts. I have a personal uh, account for all of the, you know, fun things I want to do. And I have a checking account for my bills. And that really helps me visually see how much I have left over and what I, you know, can budget with and um, use for fun because mm-hmm. all of the money that's needed for those automatic bills is already in that separate account ready to go. So it's just kind of taking that plan and you know, putting it into a relationship or a marriage or whatever, but it enables, you know, both people to be able to spend the money how they want to, but still have savings goals. You know, you could have a joint savings or even separate savings and then just, you know, figure out how you want to use that money towards, you know, your home or your car or whatever else you're looking to do. Right. And so, oh, go ahead. I say, and what's fun is you can name those accounts. I know Ryan and I, we have all our accounts, right? So we fill each of these accounts and then there's one that's called whatever Aaron wants. And so that's (laughs) that's my favorite, especially going into the bank. And they're like, which account? And I'm like, the whatever Aaron wants account. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're like, well, how, how much does Aaron want? Yes, I'm concerned about that one. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. No, I guess, I guess my question is, you know, we talk about like money and stuff, but how does it intermingle with credit cards? Like sometimes credit cards get a bad rep, right? And then, and so, I mean, all these things yeah. have like a bad rep depending on, you know, I mean, what the situation, however we're looking at it, but do you suggest credit cards? Did you suggest, you know, using them to, to buy time? Do you suggest using them just only if you're able to pay it off in full? Like what is your, what is your approach when it comes to credit cards? So credit cards to me are such a amazing tool if used wisely, or they could be detrimental to someone's, you know, whole financial plan if not used wisely. So I know a lot of people personally who will use, you know, rewards credit cards for their daily expenses. And they do that so that they can rack up points and cash back or travel miles or whatever the case may be. And I think that's an amazing idea only if you can pay that credit card off every month and not get charged interest. There are some people who like to look at an account and see exactly how much they have to spend. They're the ones that like want the amount and then know it will go down to zero after they're spending it. And then there are some people who are able to tell like, you know, they're not just swiping it on everything. They're able to, you know, keep track of what they're spending on their credit card up to, you know, what they have and can afford for that month. So I usually recommend using it to get those, you know, miles and points and all of that if you can pay it off every month. If you use it and you keep kind of like spending a little bit more than you can afford and now you're racking up interest and all this other stuff, I usually recommend people get used to just using your debit card and seeing exactly how much you have and go down to zero because unfortunately, you know, credit card debt can get out of control very quickly and then, you know, I get clients that have 20 grand in credit card debt and you know i'm trying to help them figure out the best debt payoff you know thing to do that will help them you know cut out the highest interest card and all of this other stuff so you know if you can be responsible with it absolutely because there's so many great perks and stuff that they have out there with these cards but you know people that aren't responsible with them i tell them just to use them when they know that they can pay them off Right. Yeah. Cause I was, uh, I, I felt like I was like shunned or something like that from some guy. We were just at a, an event one time and I don't even know how we got on that topic, but he's like, so you use your credit card? I'm like, well, yeah, doesn't like 99% of the world do it. Like, I don't know. I mean, don't make me feel like an outcast. And he's like, well, I never use a credit card. If I can't afford it, I wouldn't even buy it. And I'm like, also your guy, like you're very simple. <laughs> Don't tell me I can't have something. And so he just kind of made me feel like it was such a, such a bad thing. And, and I was like, well, yeah, but you can get all the rewards and the points and this and that. He goes, but if you have money, who cares about the rewards? Could you just buy what you need? And I'm like, okay. okay. And then I had to move on from the conversation because wow, what I mean, you know? yeah. And, and apparently he taught like some really big money class and whatnot. And, and, and I'm sure that he was right on some of the stuff, but I felt like his delivery and approach to it was like a little bit yeah, egotistical, like just talking down to somebody instead of trying to explain and educate to empower that woman to to make better choices. Um, but I kind of that that lesson had always stuck with me. And every time I swipe that credit card, I'm like, well, shit, I should be like paying for it in my cash. And you know, it's like, so I don't know. I always feel like he's looming over my shoulder, like that little devil and the angel. Yeah. It's like, don't swipe. But I was just curious to know your thoughts on it and approach because everyone has a different take on it. And, you know, I I guess growing up too, again, you know, we were, if you can't afford it, then you don't buy it. So if you do use your credit card, pay it in full every single month. Yeah. Well, it doesn't always happen. Um, So (laughs) I just like to get some expert advice. Yeah. And I I actually saw a really bad financial take on TikTok where a guy said that (laughs) (laughs) there's so many of them. Oh my God. I could just like, my TikTok could just be nothing but like bad financial advice. And like, here's the real truth behind this. But one guy said, rich people don't use debit cards. And so like, if you want to be rich, like you just need to use credit cards. And I'm thinking to myself, like they don't have to use debit cards because they have the money to pay off their credit cards every time. It's not like rich people, like 
are building up credit card debt that they can't pay off. Like that's, that's not the take you think it is. So I just, I'm just like, everyone is different. I don't care if you're rich or poor, like, you know, your spending habits, you know, if you go over budget every single month, or if you're able to rein in your spending and stick to a specific amount that you have, and then that dictates, you know, what would be a better fit for you to use. Right. And I think, you know, only, you know, your, your financial situation best. So it's just, you know, again, going back to the knowledge is power. So, you know, if you're finding yourself in a not financially friendly environment kind of thing, you know, again, going back to some of the lessons and takeaways of today, what would like of all the advice that you can give to women, what, what is at least your top one, or maybe you got three. So let's just kind of hear like your biggest top takeaways. If you had to tell your old, your former self, what would you say? I mean, number one, educate yourself, mm-hmm. educate yourself. I mean, find books, podcasts, websites of reputable, you know, finance people. Cause they're not all the same. I would um, they're very minimal to find. <laughs> yeah. Like truly find people that are, are giving you know, really good advice and, you know, sticking to the basics and just educate yourself on, you know, all of the different aspects of finances, debt, budget, savings, uh, estate planning, life insurance, you name it, every aspect of your financial plan and portfolio, just learning the basics and then kind of learning more and more after that. And Generally, I've seen women, you know, start at the basics and then find out that there's specific aspects of their finances that they're really intrigued about and want to learn more about. And then they kind of deep dive into those very specific areas. And just, I always recommend, you know, speaking to an advisor. I know I'm biased, (laughs) but it's, I mean, you, you speak to a CPA when you need to get your taxes done and you have questions. You speak to the doctor when you have health concerns. You speak to a therapist when you are, you know, wanting to maybe get through some mental health things. You know, why not speak to a planner, an advisor, someone who is licensed and able to help you in all areas of your life and your finances? Uh, I think that's really important. And I realize now, and I've seen that firsthand. A lot of people think that financial planning is not available to them. They think you have to have a minimum amount of money to invest. They think you have to have a certain net worth. They think you know it's going to cost so much to meet with a uh, advisor. And thankfully, advising is becoming more and more accessible to everyone, to people with little money to high money. And you know, I always say if you can find someone that you know, truly has your best interest and is trying to help you reach your financial goals and get you where you need to go. It's huge. It makes such a difference between people who use an advisor for their investments and their retirement and people that don't. And even just like robo-advising and all of these do-it-yourself options online, like there's really great tools out there that can help guide you to where you should put your money, how you should invest it, you know, what are your plans in the future? They can help you with all that. So just asking for help with your money is big and not thinking that you have to do it all yourself or, you know, know what you need to do with it. Mm, Great advice. And now with the great advice, like the the white flags, what are some of the red flags they're clear of? So, you know, as we mentioned before, there are some financial gurus out there. I'm not going to mention any names that have some very antiquated, not so great advice that unfortunately a lot of people follow. Um, One person in particular says all debt is bad debt. And that's simply not true. (laughs) There is good debt and there is bad debt. Good debt is appreciating. So that would be real estate and things of that nature that you can actually have grow over time and, you know, will come back to you. And then there's depreciating debt like credit cards and car loans and that sort of thing. So if any of the advice is like an all or nothing situation, 
or if they say like everyone should do this one thing, that's a red flag <laughs> because everyone's financial situation is different and there is not an uh, all or nothing, you know, way to go about your finances. So just kind of doing your research and making sure you're not being a victim to bad advice because that could, you know, end up being detrimental in the long run. And other, you know, red flags, as Aaron was mentioning, you know, anytime you're entering relationships, whether they're friendships or, you know, a romantic partner, and they seem very controlling over finances, they're asking you for money, you know, asking for loans, all this other kind of stuff, like, be careful in that minefield because a lot of people have loaned money that they'll never see again. A lot of people like myself have gotten into bad financial situations with romantic partners that, you know, have caused problems three years down the road. So just being protective of your money, you know, like you earned it. This is your hard earned money. And you know, unless you're donating it to charity, like be very protective about where you're just like, like throwing it out to because, you know, you never know what could happen. Yeah. Great advice. This has been eye-opening and insightful because I mean, like you said, you, we, we don't know what we don't know. And the more we learn about it, we're just, you know, we're empowering ourselves, right? So if we've earned it, if we've, if we've empowered ourselves to go out there and put ourselves out there to, to, to do the work and earn it. And it's like, but it's yours to keep, but it's also yours to play with, to invest, to have fun, to do whatever you want with it. But it's also not meant to just, you know, go from one hand to the other and you got to go back to the grind just to get paycheck. So I think, you know, for, for many people, there's, there's still that paycheck to paycheck, but it doesn't have to be because you can still build. And, and I think we're all in agreement. wealth. We're not looking to just, you know, get more money. It's about you know, freeing ourselves by building that foundational wealth uh, platform, which leads to the financial freedom. And I think ultimately that's what we're all after, right? We want to be financially free. So, yeah. And I, and Aaron, you had asked earlier, like, what could we do to help, you know, younger people learn about money? And I don't have any kids, but I strongly suggest to all parents that they teach their kids about money as young as possible. There's so many great resources available to parents on ways they can teach their kids about spending money and saving and investing and doing all this kind of stuff. And the younger you get them to understand the basics, and you're basically supplementing the financial education we wish we got in school, you know, you're going to set them up for success by instilling in them all this knowledge that they can use to build up their wealth as early as possible and make smart financial decisions and not make dumb mistakes like some of us have, yeah. you know, they will regardless because kids will be kids, but at least they've got that, that, you know, educational foundation to go by. And, you know, they're going to see the return on that investment right away. So I always recommend parents just, you know, making that a part of their, of, you know, their daily practice, just different ways that they can show them how their money works and what they can do with it. Right. right. And you know, and it's what's kind of cool about that too, is now as a, I'm not a parent, but I would assume that Aaron, you could probably speak on this too, but you know, you're, my, kid, my oldest is not two yet, but no, but I'm saying as you're educating your children, yeah. you're actually getting to learn it firsthand as well. If you haven't had the opportunity to do it. So now it's kind of like a two for deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah. I just saw, I just saw an app. Uh, I believe it was a commercial. It was for an app called Greenlight, And it said how to uh, teach your children to invest at a young age. And I'm thinking, well, I should be a child. Cause I don't know <laughs> what apparently we're, be, we're teaching the young, but if I'm a parent, I'm going to learn beside, you know, aside with my children, but yeah, it's kind of those cool different, you know, we're, we're giving back to the younger generation, but it's also doesn't prevent you from thinking, you know, it all. And you should also be immersed in this, this financial literacy right. and as you're passing this on to your children. So yeah, no, I definitely, we, I download the app. I have not checked it out yet, but it was uh, did chores on that app is what I thought it was. No, it's called green. I don't know. I have not opened it, but green light just teaches the, chil- the children, you know, what to do with money. So I know, you know, being an aunt and my niece and nephew, they just think that money grows on, you know, out of daddy's pocket. Mm -hmm. And it's just, they don't understand the concept of it. So it's just pretty cool. So you can learn alongside your, your children or 
educate yourself from a children's, you know, dumbed it down, right? Yeah. Yeah. To a five-year-old, you don't understand it well enough. So that's the point. If you can, if you can teach a five-year-old, you could teach yourself. And that's kind of the level sometimes like I got to go back to like, hold on, you confuse me. Speak to me as if you're talking to a five-year-old. Exactly. And that's the basics I'm talking about. Like the basics that you would teach a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, those are going to be so important for both of you to learn. And there are a lot of great apps out there that allow you to pay your kids for chores virtually and them have the money in the app and that they can do with whatever they want with it. Um, I, I noticed they started allowing parents to like set up credit cards for their kids at an early, like at a, whatever age is appropriate for them. But of course they're, you know, have limits on them and they can only do so much with them, but that's building their credit super early. Like I didn't have a credit card until, you know, I was in college and, um, you know, the, the earlier you could start building that credit and the earlier you get that credit line opened, like you have a longer time to make sure you can really keep it, keep it high. And that helps you down the road with buying all sorts of things and being able to, to qualify for stuff. Absolutely. Wow. Today, I mean, just so many, so many wisdom nuggets and and tips and all the stuff that you've definitely empowered us and our listeners. So first of all, how could people find out more about you and working with you and some of the the offers that you have for your clients? Sure. So um, I have a couple of social media platforms on Facebook. I have a group financially successful and savvy that they can join. Uh, my blog is www.financiallysuccessfulandsavvy.com. And I'm also on Instagram. Uh, Instagram handle is at financially successful. All of those locations, you can reach out to me personally if you need any help with your finances, your budgeting, you name it. My financial planning is absolutely free. So I'm trying to make it very accessible to everybody to be able to take control of their finances. And I just offer a lot of great tools and and tricks that people can learn to better understand how their money works on on all of those platforms. Wow. Yeah, definitely insightful. So those who are listening and if you just want the basics or to learn how or just reach out to Amanda, definitely check her out. Of course, all the links will be in the show notes. So again, we just want to thank you, Amanda, for taking the time and just educating us too. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I was so happy to be here. We appreciate you so much listening to our podcast. If you love what you've been hearing from us and looking forward to future content, make sure you take a few minutes to subscribe, like our podcast and review the Confident Woman podcast. We appreciate it so, so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Confident Woman podcast. Um, For more ways to connect with us, check out our Facebook group. It's The Confident Woman on Facebook. There's a ton of amazing ladies in that group that you can connect with as well. My Instagram is at Erin underscore travels for life. Make sure you go ahead and follow that and follow Rachel as well. What is yours, Rachel? You can follow me on all social medias at I am Rachel Brooks. Awesome. Thanks so much. Look forward to checking you next week.